Hello and welcome to Here We Go, the Aberdeen podcast. And for a first for our own podcast, um, well, a couple of firsts. The first first is that uh, Richard and Martin, in their wisdom, have decided to let me loose with the reins to the podcast. Uh, I'll be hosting solo on this one. And a second first, this is the Here We Go Aberdeen FC Women podcast. So this is going to be the first podcast that we've done, which is entirely dedicated to the women's team as a as a result, uh, I thought it was important to get a couple of expert guests on the women's game. So I'm very, very pleased to welcome, first of all, a returning guest. Um, she's a former performance analyst with the Scotland women's national team, uh, Jill Campbell. Jill, thanks for coming back on the show. Delighted to be here. Thanks, Martin. And welcoming for her debut on the Here We Go podcast. Uh, she's a sports journalist with the Press and Journal and Evening Express. It's Sophie Goodwin. Sophie, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, Sophie, I thought we'd maybe start with yourself. Uh, you have been covering uh, the Aberdeen women's team for, uh, I think, a couple of seasons now. So both of the seasons yeah. that they've played in uh, the top flight. Um, and I thought it might be good to just start off with maybe a, a short summary from yourself of how you found the season has gone so far. So um, the, the the first season that Aberdeen were back in uh, SWPL1, um, it was probably a season that exceeded all expectations, finished a very credible fifth in the table. Uh, I think it's fair to say it's been something more of a, a tough season this time round, uh, a very slow start to the season, uh, recovered somewhat slightly, but um, as we as we currently speak, um, we've just been through the first round of uh, fixtures from the teams who are in the bottom six. Um, Aberdeen currently sitting ninth in the table out of 12 and currently trying to fend off a, a couple of other clubs in Hamilton and Dundee United to avoid a, a dreaded playoff relegation place. So... Um, how, how how do you think the team has fared so far this season? I think you summed up quite well in that last season they exceeded expectations. I don't think anyone would have expected that Aberdeen would come in to this SWPL1 for the first time as part of Aberdeen FC Women. Obviously, Aberdeen ladies were in the top flight for several years before that, come into the league again and and finished effectively best of the rest behind you know the three professional teams and a the Hibs team that has so often led the way in Scotland. Um, but I think the biggest challenge this season has been, yeah, it was a slow start. They get their win, their first win until October, which was at Ptolgy against Glasgow Women. But the biggest challenge this season has been that the league has gotten more competitive. It's a, now a 12-team league opposed to a 10-team league, which is uh, what it was last season. And of those teams in the league, there's been more investment. You know, you look at a team like Hearts who were down the bottom end of last season and possibly could have been relegated had there not been any relegation because of the, the restructuring of SWPL1. But they've invested. I think they have essentially a full-time kind of structure. The players drop in like to, to sessions when they can and they've reaped their reward. They're sitting, sitting pretty in fourth and what you've always done this season is, is nothing short of remarkable. Um, and it's happened because of the investment and the resources and well, Aberdeen have made increased investment, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about it later, but the fact that they've got five players on semi-pro contracts, it doesn't match up to some of their closest rivals compared to last season. But 
I think while it has been difficult and you look at the table, you know, the table doesn't lie for a lot of it. They were sitting second bottom. It's only over the last couple of months that they've managed to move out of that playoff spot. But last season was a 27-game season. They finished fifth with 29 points. They've currently played this year 27 games. And they're actually their total is only five points less than what it was last season. So when you look at it like that and you compare it like that, it's not actually as bad as what you might think to go from fifth to potentially being in a relegation scrap. But it has been difficult and there's been a lot of changes. You know, at the end of last season, they lost big, big, big players. Maybe not players that uh, were their best performers in terms of technical and tactical ability, but they lost their captain, Kelly Forrest, who had been there for a very long time and who... I know having spoke to her and having spoke to several of her teammates was a was a big figure in the dressing room. Um, didn't take any nonsense and kind of could pull the team together when, when they needed to. The lost Carrie Doig, who'd been there for, I think almost twenty years. Natasha Bruce this season has left to go to Dundee United midway. So they're losing big figures in the dressing room. And who's come in is a lot a lot of young players who have never played at this level before. So that is going to create some challenges. And then you throw into the mix that they lose you know their managers in November. And, you know, Emma and, and Gavin Beaver were big losses, but I think Emma, especially in the fact that she's been there for a very long time throughout this whole journey that AFC women have been on. And not only that, but she coached a lot of these players since they were 12 or 13 years old. And her player management, I think, is the thing that they've lost the most. You know, she was able to guide these players when things got tough, which has been this season. And I think maybe since November, they've not quite had that figure. So it has been difficult, but there are, I think, a lot of different factors to consider that kind of explains why it's been a different season to to last. Now, you had uh, an article that uh, you wrote for the P&G last Sunday, and that was on the current interim manager, Gavin Gavin LeVay, uh, basically reflecting on his Aberdeen women's tenure and the search for a permanent boss. So um, he was saying that the club needs to know how the women's programme is going to look going forward, not just the management role. Uh, I was just wondering, what do you think that might mean for the women's team next season and how much investment might be likely to be coming forward for the the forthcoming season ahead? I think one good thing about Gavin being in his interim has been that he's been able to see what needs to be done and that he's been working on the team day to day. Not only that, but he's been going down to Glasgow City, to Rangers, to Celtic and realising what they've got that Arvind don't. Um, and while I don't, I don't expect there to be to be massive changes. I don't expect Aberdeen to go full time over the summer or to even go fully semi pro. But I do think there is a plan. Um, they obviously, when they, the club took over the women's team, there was a three year plan that's obviously done now because we're we're into the fourth year. But I, I know there's still kind of a program in place where they have different subgroups, kind of leading on you know the marketing side, uh, different expertise at Pataji all kind of pitching in. So there is a plan, um, but what that plan is, I'm not 100% sure. I think, and whether they know themselves, I'm not 100% sure either, but I think if they do, that needs to be communicated. It needs to be, fans need to know exactly what the club intends to do with with AFC women because, you know, if you want a team, you want them to be successful and you want them to be performing at the best of their ability. And I think with what is provided now, are they able to do that always 100% consistently? I'm not so sure. Um, so, yeah, I mean, changes are going to be afoot. I think, obviously, somebody else is going to come in, take over Gav, uh, Gavin's role as interim boss. Um, I think, you know, I know what 
that should probably be that should probably be a full-time role but that's easy for me to say whether the club think that they can justify bringing in full-time staff just now I don't know but um yeah I think there will be changes but I don't think they'll be as extreme to the point where you could see Aberdeen you know climbing up the table and competing next season with the likes of Rangers Celtic Glasgow City I think they're they're quite far off that sort of progress. So coming to you, Jill, um, I remember we were both on the podcast together last year, and at that time you were speaking about the good job that Emma Hunter had done with the team at Aberdeen. Now, obviously, since then, both herself and co-manager Gavin Beath resigned from the team last November following what we've already covered was a, a tough start to the season that only saw a couple of wins in their first 12 games. Um, but are you surprised that they departed at that time, considering their comparative success in the previous few seasons? I mean, uh, if anything, they were probably ahead of schedule in securing back-to-back promotions to get back into the top flight. And then, as I said before, a, a very successful first season in SP, uh, SWPL1. Um, so su- surprised that they made the decision at that time? Or, or, or did do you think it's a situation of, well, any managerial situation where um, a tough round of games may well easily see you out the door? Yeah, I guess I was somewhat surprised. Um, I don't know. I'm very much on the outside with Aberdeen women. As you say, I've, I've had a big involvement with Celtic and Rangers over the years and uh, and helped out a bit with other Premier League clubs. But, but Aberdeen, because I don't live anywhere near, I haven't really been involved. But I looked at it and I didn't think it was ever purely about results. Um, you know, in, in those early games, they faced City, Rangers, Celtic... Probably they'd have been disappointed to draw with Partick and, and lose to Spartans, but uh, all the for just all the reasons that Sophie described there, uh, losing some really significant experienced players is it, difficult. And actually, in that time, they managed to hold City to two one in the league, which I thought was a a good result. Um, and certainly, Gav Beatha and Emma are really excellent coaches, really well thought of in the game, and the fact that both are are working with national youth team with the Pauline Mack and uh, and with Leanne Ross at the moment shows how well they're thought of in, in the women's game. Uh, I think for me, the biggest surprise of this all was when the, the contract came up um, and it was only 20-something hours uh, following the resignations. And that, to me, it's kind of signified. But I suppose Sophie's already described it quite well. I think that, that maybe it's, it's some more investment needed in some other areas to really, truly move forward. Because with that number of hours, and certainly when there was two of them coaching, if that was a similar arrangement, that's not a lot of sessions. The game's moved on, and certainly when we were at Rangers before they really heavily invested in it, we were doing... Minimum three football sessions a week, tried to fit in four, and there was S&C as well that the players were doing with the club. Uh, and I think in Aberdeen there's a lot of, because you've such a talented crop of young players, they're accessing the, the regional performance hubs and things like that to get extra sessions. But if the other clubs you're playing against week in, week out are doing that bit more, they're getting more football sessions, access to S&C, they're doing training sessions on full pitches where they can work on shaping whenever they need to. They're not wedged between two other youth teams to um, to get a bit of space. All these things make a difference. Um, so, yes, I was a bit surprised. I probably thought, looking at it from the outside, there was a bit more to the story. Um, and, and, and certainly Hearts are a club that I really uh, admired how they've gone about things and the plan they've got in place. So hopefully that plan Sophie talked about uh, means that things will move forward again because it is a tough league I think Glasgow girls probably are the only ones in it that don't look particularly competitive this year 
but yeah, um, interesting to see how things move forward over the next few months. Now, Sophie, um, yourself and Jill both touched upon the fact that um, uh, Aberdeen women currently are feeling a, a very young side, a number of senior players that left at the, the, the end of last season. Um, and you've recently done a little bit of analysis on that, um, highlighting that in actual fact, um, as you suspected, um, the women's team is actually the youngest side in SWPL won this season. Um, but you also highlighted a, a couple of players in particular. So um, 16-year-old Madison Finney, she's currently starting in the side in the heart of the defence, um, while um, 17-year-old Millie Uckert, she's recently been in the news. Um, she had an exceptional game recently at Dundee United, scoring two goals and getting an assist in a 4-3 win at Gussie Park, which has been... Uh, a crucial three points in the the fight to get out of the relegation playoff. Um, and she's going to be moving stateside later in this year. She's um, going to be playing um, NCAA Division One college football, or, or soccer, as I suppose they would refer it to, um, at Jacksonville University. So your thoughts on those two players in particular and, and, and maybe the, the, the young crop of talent that we have more generally? I think, well, especially since last few seasons, I've been of always been described as a young team. I think you'd watch the highlight show on BBC on a Monday night and they'd always say Aberdeen's a young team. So kind of that buzzword that, that was always said about Aberdeen. And I think with it is, I mean, it shows that the talent that we've got up here in the North and Northeast, you know, shows you the kind of potential that, that Aberdeen could have if they're able to keep a hold of their young talents because I think the two players, Madison Finney and, and Millie Ucker, are, are really talented prospects. Um, I think... There's a reliance on youth because of where Aberdeen are. They don't obviously offer paid contracts, so external signings aren't going to come up north three times a week for a training and a match on a Sunday. Um, you know, if there's maybe no financial incentive to do so as well. So there's a there's a reliance on on youth to put them in, and I think a lot of them are ready. Um, whether they're ready to be starters week in week out, especially this season when it's been tough, you know. There was a spell, obviously, where they played Rangers, Celtic, Glasgow City back-to-back in the league and then they played City in the Cup and it was heavy defeats and you just think, you know, what does that do to a young player's mentality? I think, yeah, they're, on one hand you're playing against, you know, your national team heroes, you're playing the likes against, you know, Nick Dock and Sam Kerr and all that, but when you're getting beat 8-0 or 7-0, and it, it does hit you and I think... You know, you you could see if that happens season upon season, season when you're 16, 17, 18 years old, it, you can feel that your mentality takes takes a hit, and you, you consider chucking it. I don't know, but I think there there needs to be a balance. But yeah, I think the two players, you know, Madison Finney's coming this season straight from the under 18s, Abby Ladies under 18s, and I mean she's been solid for a 16 year old. You know, I think one of the standout players this season. I think you can look at it through. A lens of a young of a young player, um, and then Millie uh, as well. Um, I think to begin with, she was playing kind of across the back line. She was just being used where they where they needed somebody to go, and she did it, and she did it reasonably well. Um, she was a a decent highlight a wee bit. I think she gave away a penalty quite early on in the season, got sent off at Park Thistle. But as of late, you know, she's come on quite a lot um, since she's moved. You know, she's been moved further up up the pitches. At times, I've played a three at back, so she's played wing back, and then kind of as of late, she's played on the right wing, and she's just she's she's just really really good, um, and kind of reaped her reward 
um, with those two goals against Dundee United. And I think her move, you know, later this year when she goes off to America is, is a great thing. Um, it's a really high level college football. We obviously have, you know, Christy Grimshaw on the national team who who grew up in Stonehaven. That was kind of how she started her kind of elite elite career in Florida as well. And now she's at, you know, AC Milan and scoring in the in the derbies and stuff like that. So it's um yeah, it's a it's a promising promising move for Millie. But I just think Aberdeen, they they've always had the kind of young talent coming through and they've always utilised them, which is a good thing. But I do think it is a fine balance of over-utilising them and, and kind of giving them that exposure that they need to at this point in their careers. Yeah, maybe taking that point on a bit further, because you you, you mentioned having to step up and play some of the uh, top sides in the league. I mean, it was earlier in the season, I think, that um, they had uh, back-to-back uh, away and home games against uh, probably still the top team in the, in the league or one of the top few teams in Glasgow City. So they they, they got knocked out away in the cup and then not long afterwards they had a home game against them where they were um, beaten pretty comprehensively 7-0. But for that that home game in particular, I think other than Nadine Hansen, I think she was probably the only genuinely senior player in the team. And I think when I'd looked through the team sheet, the second oldest people in the team were uh, Ailey Shore and, and Fran Ogilvie, who are 21. And I'm thinking, you know, 7-0 looks like a bad result on you know, from the outside looking in, but you know, if if you were to compare it maybe to a situation in the men's game, if if you were to ask Graham Shinney and development team to go and play a game against Celtic at Pitodri, I don't think you'd be expecting much of a better result than that either. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think and I think that's what's maybe sometimes difficult for Aberdeen in that, you know, we often look at the results and people might comment and be like, Oh, it's terrible or you know, should be doing better, like, oh, it's a thumping or whatever. But yeah, like you say, I think you're right. I think Nadine, um, who only just signed in September, so she's not familiar with Scottish football. This is the first time that she's played in Scotland and is here off the back of, and um, this is her first club since having a, having a baby as well. So, you know, she's adapting to league, adapting back to being a, an elite athlete. Um, but yeah, she was the most experienced one. So it's, um, it's, it is difficult because they are a young team. You know, it would be like you say, a, a team full of Alfie Bavgers taking on, you know, Celtic Rangers if it was a men's equivalent. So it is difficult. I think you have to bear that in mind, especially people who maybe don't follow the women's team all the time. If you see a result, you know, maybe look. A, they have to look a wee bit more into it and realise that it's probably a team, you know, especially in defence. At times this season, they've had at least three teenagers out of four uh, make up the back line. Their captain... It's the other one, Lauren Campbell, um, who, you know, I think her and Nadine are the only two players in their 30s in the in the team. Um, the rest are, 20, uh, you know, 21, 22, 23, who aren't teenagers. So, as you know, other than those two, the only senior teams, it is a really, really young team. And that does kind of have an effect on results inevitably. And it's uh, important for people to understand that, I think. Yeah, and, and Jill, taking that, thought forward from from the perspective of a performance analyst on on the one hand if if you're old enough then you're good enough and again these players are clearly really good all of them are currently involved you know all all, all of the under 20 as as it were are all involved in the Scotland youth international setup Um, but on the other hand how challenging is it for uh, a young side to be regularly competing against more senior teams and more senior players in the top flight and particularly bearing in mind I think some some of the more recent headlines in, in women's football has been 
Um, I noticed that Arsenal, for example, or seem, they seem to have had an incredibly unfortunate run of ACL injuries for a number of their top players, including Kim Little. And, um, and you know, so if, if the impact of playing regularly um, is having that kind of effect with, you know, established senior professionals, um, you can imagine it must be a concern when you're then asking 17, 18 year old girls to be trying to do the same thing. Yeah, I think so. And as a bit of a stats geek, I always look at the, the kind of FIFA, UEFA uh, figures after the major tournaments that we have. They, they give out the sort of average uh, average age of teams and they, they say to be a sort of national team really competing in, in these tournaments, it's usually an average age of around 27, 28. <laughs> now, I know league football is going to be younger, but that balance of experience and, uh, and some younger players, talented players, is really important. I know at Rangers, one of our best players in the team was uh, not not the most talented. She was in her mid-30s by then, but Michelle Barr and the experience she brought to that role on the pitch dictating. And I think that's what Graham Shinney gave to the men's team when he came back in, a bit of leadership experience in the middle of the park. Um, so, so, yeah, I think Lauren was mentioned, Nadine and uh, Donna, I think maybe a little bit more experience. But you've got some really exciting young players there, and I've seen various clips, and I've seen them play a bit more with national teams, and, and really exciting time for Aberdeen. Uh, but yeah, I would say that the, the thing around ACLs is, is hugely worrying in women's football at the moment. It's something we've been aware of for a long time, but as teams get more exposure, uh, more players going down and playing down south and playing a lot of games, ACLs are becoming more and more prominent. So there's a balance because we need to look after young players. If you look at somebody like uh, Emma Watson at Rangers, got a national team call-up recently. I think she's 17, 18. It needs to be managed. Uh, something like her not to overplay them, uh, make sure we're looking at loading of training sessions, etc., and make the, the best decision for the player rather than just because we need them to play senior football. So that it should always be about the best players, interested players first and foremost. Uh, so as you said, yeah, you've got Leah Williamson, uh, Williamson Viv Miedema, Beth Mead all out with ACLs. Uh, Kimmy's picked up a, a hamstring now, and I think last night Vinerother went down clutching her knee, so that could be another ACL, and that's just one club. I think at the moment it's five of the 22 on the Ballon d'Or list from last year, 22 Ballon d'Or list, have done ACLs, and that that wouldn't happen in the, in the men's game. So there's lots of things to look at, and I think as, as women, they are more susceptible to ACLs, sort of the, the, the angle of the hips, uh, etc. Put more pressure on, on joints, but uh, but yeah, loading is definitely a thing as well. And yeah, I, I do believe that if you're uh, good enough, you're old enough, uh, but to be a successful side, you need a bit of balance. So Sophie, you touched upon this earlier that um, AFC women at the end of last season did make what was a an historic move to semi-professional status. Um, as you said, five players were provided with semi-professional contracts, which extend until 2024. Um, you were mentioning that um, perhaps a team, you know, hearts have really maybe taken the the, found the opportunity from the challenge that they had the previous season to really double down, um, reinforce the the pathway to a, a more professional setup for their team. Is is that something that you would hope that uh, AFC women would emulate, and that there remains a, a clear path to professional football for the for footballers in the northeast? Yeah, I think it's something that I would I'd hope that they would do, and especially 
you know, sooner rather than later. Um, you know, like I said already, I don't, I don't think full time professional football is something that will come to Aberdeen women um, within the next season or two. But I think, I mean, it's the way the game's going. Fiona McIntyre said that, you know, now that she's running the league, that's what she um, hopes it will become a full time professional league for for all the teams that are involved. But I think, you know, the, the move that Aberdeen made last season, putting the five five players on the contracts was was a big thing in itself I think um I think I wrote a piece at the time about how it does give young players in the north and northeast something something to aim towards obviously it is just five out of the squad just now so it's um you know ideally you'd want the whole squad to be on paid semi-pro contracts but that's just not where they're at but yeah it just gives them something to to aim towards something to achieve that, you know, one day if they're good enough that they could be paid to play football, be paid to play for their, you know, childhood club and the club that they've grown up um, supporting and watching, hopefully the women's team as well. So, yeah, I think there is a, a vision that it will get there one day, how soon it will come, I don't know. But I think it was it was a historic thing to do and it's maybe set it on its way. Um, yeah, set it on its way to happening, I guess. Jill, Sophie's just mentioned uh, the managing director of SWPL, Fiona McIntyre. Um, she's recently stated that her blue sky thinking would be for the top league to be full of professional clubs where the players and the coaching staff and everything else around it is all full time. Now, you've worked with clubs like Celtic and Rangers where they have made that move and they are now in that situation. Um, how how aspirational a vision do you think this is for the rest of teams in in the top league, and, and and what level of investment would that realistically take to achieve it? Um, I'm with Sophia. I don't believe that will happen uh, quickly at Aberdeen. Um, I don't know if that is a is a realistic vision at the moment. I think you have to be careful not to go too fast, too soon. If you think about the American Pro League, it's quite well established now, but um, and Julie Fleeton's a good friend of mine and we went through university together and I visited her when she moved to, to play at San Diego. That league with the best players in the world, I mean, America had just won the, the 99 World Cup and the 99ers are a really famous score of players. They didn't manage to make the professional league work because they, they tried to go at it right away. I think you have to, to build it up over time. And we're saying that these three clubs are fully professional. I don't actually believe they are. I still think it's a mixture of different contracts. Uh, certain staff within the team will be full-time. Um, certainly, don't get me wrong, the resourcing they have compared to the others is, is far superior. Um, but I think it's got to, it's got to move with, with the clubs and what they're able to do. And in Hearts, I think I've been fairly sensible about it. I think the area they have invested in is a, is a really good coach in Eva, a pro-licensed coach with lots of experience has come in and they've worked on that plan. It, it, it sort of is step by step. Well, you said Aberdeen had a, a three-year plan. I wasn't aware, but that's what Hearts have done and, and it seems to be, to be paying off. It's not always about having everybody on contracts. For, for players at the moment, still, the environment is so important. You have to believe that the club you're at can develop you and make you a better player. And that's probably the most important thing at the moment. Everybody's situation is different. I think there's still some players at Celtic, for example, who are in education where they're not full-time professionals, but that's, that's good. That suits them. Uh, they've got to get their education as well. Um, so, yeah, th there are things you can do to step towards a more professional environment. 
And when I worked with Celtic and Rangers, we were that's where we were. Not huge amounts of money being invested, but can you work more flexibly? We needed to get some more football sessions in. So I know in the early days, Glasgow City did more morning technical sessions with players. They were able to do S and C uh, various points in the week to fit around people's schedules. So not always about contracts. Um, I mean, it would be great if we got to that because I think we'll continue to lose our best players down south. It is more of a lure. You look at the, the contracts that, that Kim and, and Aaron Cuthbert and others run down there. It's, it, I don't see us ever having that money, uh, that media interest. Um, but we should be moving towards it or we, we'll, we'll lose more and more players there. But yeah, the, there is. it feels like there's a bit of a gap in the league. I'll be interested to see if Hearts approach gets them closer to, to, to those teams. I think the plan is for a bit more investment going forward from the uh, from the club. So yeah, I'm, I'm keen to see what Aberdeen can do because you've always had a really strong tradition of uh, top, top players from that area of Scotland. There are issues though, you know, players get to a certain age and they, they, they move off to universities. America's still a bit of a lure for some. Um, what you were saying about um, about Millie uh, going off to, to Jacksonville uh, and you know these are exciting opportunities so you know in Scotland we're battling against all those things England's very close and good opportunities good media coverage so that is definitely going to be a lure so what can we do to compete and can we hold on to players a little bit longer because the club environment is as strong as we can make it with the resources we have so as Part of our first ever dedicated podcast to the Aberdeen FC women's team, uh, I thought it would be good to see if we could get someone in to give us the inside track on what's actually going on in the club at the moment. And who better to do that than the current team captain, Lauren Campbell? So I'm delighted to have on our first ever AFC women's dedicated podcast, uh, none other than the team captain herself, Lauren Campbell. Lauren, thank you very much for agreeing to come on the show. No problem. Thank you for having me on. So before we get into the questions, um, it's maybe worth saying that we're recording this uh, the day after you've uh, just had a game on Sunday against Motherwell. A uh, bit of a disappointing result, 2-0 defeat to Motherwell, but uh, very encouraging performance. How, how frustrating was it from your uh, perspective? Because it was a really good performance from the team, but um, I think I'd look at stats afterwards and eight shots on target, but nothing went in. And perhaps uh, uh, a bit frustrating that uh, it was a former Aberdeen ladies alumni uh, in goal that uh, denied most of them as well. <laughs> yeah, I think um, yeah, if you were at the game yesterday, it was a good performance by us. But frustratingly, we just couldn't get the ball in the back of the net. I think the ball was on the line-up points as well. It just was one of those days it wasn't going in. But yeah, credit to to Emily, unfortunately, who's at Motherwell now, had a, a very good performance and goals for Motherwell as well, yeah. So I'll maybe come back full circle after this in relation to what the, the, the rest of the season holds for the, the women's team, but uh, it's probably best to start at the beginning. So you've obviously been involved with Aberdeen FC Women since it was first launched back in November 2018 uh, when uh, the Aberdeen ladies team um, effectively came under the umbrella of uh, Aberdeen FC. Um, but obviously uh, your involvement with Aberdeen ladies goes back quite a bit further than that, doesn't it? Yeah, just a bit. I think um, I've played since primary five or six, I think, under the Aberdeen ladies umbrella, um, starting at the under-13s team and um, still with the, with the ladies team now. So, yeah, it's been about, I don't know, 20 years maybe more for myself. But, um, yeah, they, the club came in in 2018, which um, 
to be honest, was something they, they were trying to get done for a few years before that. Um, it came after back-to-back demotions, so I think maybe Aberdeen's seen that as a good time to come in and help us out, and I think it's just kicked on from strength to strength since um, November 2018 when they officially took us over. Uh, and as you say, it really has gone from strength to strength since then. So in the the first couple of seasons, um, started out in uh, SWFL Division 1 North, um, secured promotion by winning the title in their first season. And then it was back-to-back promotions after that when the team went on to win the Scottish Women's Premier League 2. So um, any particular moments in those first couple of seasons that really stand out for you? <laughs> And I think that first sort of two years, I think, well, delayed a wee bit with COVID was two and a half, but it was just an absolute whirlwind And um, that two years. I think the club gave it in and said, oh, you've got three or four years to hopefully make it back into SPL1 where we are now. And like you say, we just, we hit the ground running with a, a really good squad, which most of us are, fortunately are still here now in SPL1. So um, it was under Emma um, and then a couple of um, other assistant coaches have come and gone since as well. But um yeah, very successful two years. Um, pick out a highlight, I, I don't know. I always um, say the very first game at SPL 2, I think we were down 3-1 to Dundee United with sort of 10-15 minutes to go and won 4-3, which was the opening game of that season. And I think that just put the, the stance out that, you know, we're not here just to, to be a mid-table team. We really want to win it this season. So that was a standout a performance from us from that season. But yeah, just back-to-back. I mean, Montrose have done it this weekend as well, so credit to them. But it's a hard thing to do in football. So to say I've done back-to-back promotions and won back-to-back titles as well, not just um, gaining promotions. Um, yeah, very proud to have been part of that. Um, well, still in the team, but yeah, part of the team that was involved in doing that. So you said you were given a target of three to four years, so mm-hmm. you very much um, got back into the top flight well ahead of schedule. Uh the 2021-22 season was the first season in SWPL1, and uh, with that, um, a very, very good season with the team finishing the campaign in fifth place. Um, I don't know whether yourself and the team had any um, kind of targets at the beginning of the season in that regard, but I think it would be safe to say that that's about as successful a first season in the top flight as you could have possibly hoped for, and, and not only for the club, but for yourself personally, is you, you made the shortlist for Player of the Season Award, so it must have been a very satisfying season, both for yourself and for the team. Yeah, that was also a really good season last year. I think we played without pressure last year. We came up um, as one of the teams promoted and nobody expected much of us, so I think it was it was good just to, to play every game without pressure, without expectation, which has maybe changed a little bit um, with this season, but yeah, we finished fifth. It wasn't our target. I would say we would probably make sure we stay up in the league was was the target, honestly, when we, we sat down at the beginning of the season. But once we sort of hit the halfway point, um, we did say, like, let's try and get in the top half of the table, which was still, you know, very, very ambitious. But um, we were lucky enough to do that with a, with a really good squad of players last season. So, yeah, it makes this season maybe look harder, but I think maybe this season is just more realistic to the growth of the game. But... Yeah, last season was was a very good season for the club. And again, I think it was maybe ahead of schedule um, finishing fifth and being in that that top tier that year as well. So it's credit to the girls for, you know, having three really good first three years with the platform um, of the club that they gave us to do that. So, yeah, very, very good season. Um, 
player of the season award, that's that's just a bonus, isn't it? It's it's always good to play well and be recognised by others. But yeah, the the main point of last season, the proudest thing we are was finishing fifth place and in the top half of the table. And at the end of last season, it it, it marked maybe the, the the beginning of what's you know been a, a very challenging season this season because. Um, the end of last season also involved the the last games for a, a couple of stalwarts of the Aberdeen women's team in Carrie Doig and and then club captain Kelly Forrest, both of whom retired. Um, and there's obviously been changes with a, a number of other uh, senior players having departed. Uh, I think it was, it was interesting when you mentioned Montrose securing uh, promotion in the title last season because I think there was another couple of the players involved from last season or seasons beforehand in, in Lauren Gordon and Louise Brown who are who are playing with Montrose now. So uh, a lot a lot of changes from the team that finished last season and and the current squad right now. Yeah, massive changes and um, all big sort of personalities that were in the team um, previously. But the girls kind of made us aware, um, well Kelly and Carrie especially, that they were planning retirement. So. It was something we were building up to, but it's, it is um, still hard when it happens. So, yeah, for me, it's um, players close in age to me as well. So it's it's hard to, um, you know, make up for that, the gap that they leave. So credit to them, though, they left um, with the club in a good position. So we can only thank them and it was their choice to move on away from football. But like you say, yeah, we've got lost Lauren Gordon and Louise. It's all about game time sometimes in women's football, being happy where you are and credit to them. They've obviously... Going to Matrones to hit the ground round and uh, the ground running there, so they're coming up. Um, hopefully to play against us if we secure our position this season. Um, to play against them next season, which will be a bit strange playing against friends. But yeah, it's it's it was a big change. There was obviously a lot of change uh, with management this year. But football's football. It's it just changes so quickly. Um, doesn't matter what club you're at, what level you're at, the um, change can happen um, very, very quickly. But yeah, just um, yeah, they're they're always missed. But um, I think they left, they retired, and we returned to pre-season within like a fortnight. So <laughs> unfortunately to them, it was um, yeah, we quickly um, had to move on without them and straight back into training. Um, and we've got had a couple of new faces in the season as well to. To try and replace them, um, although um, maybe not the age gaps being replaced, but still some very good young players that came into the team. Yeah, and of course you're, you're mentioning um, Carrie and Kelly both um, leave or are retiring from football. Um, in Kelly's perspective, she's not entirely out of uh, football. <laughs> I know that she's been along. She's been involved with some of the co-commentary for some of the games on TV this season. Do you, do you still keep in touch with Kelly? Do you know how she's getting on? Yeah, both Kelly and Carrie are still, you know, very good friends. Um, Kelly, yeah, was on the right-hand side of the pitch against Hamilton and I could hear her commentating above my head um, a couple of weekends ago. So, yeah, she's still very much involved. They're both actually involved in the background of the club, just helping um, the Aberdeen women's side grow within the youth team and in the first team because they've got that experience of the game. And then Carrie, I don't know if you know, is that Inverurie Locos, um, starting yeah. from scratch almost there. So she's building that up. Um, she's a teacher from that area, so knows a lot of young girls involved in football. So as much as Carrie retired, um, I think she's had the boots on a couple of times to help out at Locos. So I'm not sure if her retirement's gone to plan, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it, it can happen. Yeah. <laughs> so obviously... Um... Kelly Forrest retiring left there being a, a vacancy in the role of team captain and 
uh, as is always the case, change often brings new opportunities, and it certainly did for you as you were named the the new captain for the the forthcoming season. So it obviously must be an honour being able to lead the current side. And um, I don't know how it's been. I mean, you know, you've obviously had a uh, almost a full season now involved in that role, and maybe with a chance to reflect upon that. How 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 has that been? In a, I mean, obviously you were all, already one of the senior players and would have had a leadership role in that regard, but I assume it was uh, another significant step forward actually being the team captain. Yeah, like you say, I worked closely with Kelly last season. Kelly had a few injuries towards the end of um, her final season at Aberdeen, so had a few opportunities to test out being captain before before it officially happened this season. But um, yeah, it's unfortunate that then Kelly steps aside, but like you say, it's an opportunity for myself and then Francesca being named as vice captain as well. So it's been it's been good. People say, "Oh, how's how's the season been?" It's been a hard season, but I've played at Aberdeen for twenty years, and I can assure you, there's been a lot harder seasons in my <laughs> previous career when we've been down down the bottom of the table. So I've still very much enjoyed it. It's a it's a young, quite a young group of players. There is a couple of older players my age, but it's been leading a young group of players that are hungry um, to play football, and most of them want to play professional football as well. So. It's been enjoyable in that aspect, but like I say, I joined Aberdeen almost 20 years ago, so to play all the way through the youth system and then, you know, make it to the women's team and now finally captain them, it's just kind of like icing on the cake. To be honest, it's not something I thought of or targeted. I've just been used to to playing football, getting on with it for years and then enjoying a Sunday the most. But yeah, captain just leads that different um, sort of responsibility on match day, but yeah, no, it's something I've really enjoyed this season. So as you say, it has been a hard season this season, um, and it was certainly a very tough start to the season. So um, uh, a, a bit of, uh, again, having had a really successful first season in the top flight, it was maybe a kind of um, uh, juddering back to, to earth. Um, no wins in the first nine games in the season, so I think things were really looking tough, but uh, credit to the team, they've they've they, they've battled back, and it was perhaps fitting that eventually when they brung when they brought that run uh, to an end, it was as part of being the first Aberdeen women's team to, to win a fixture at Pitaudry. Um 2-0 win over Glasgow women, uh, just over 1,600 people in attendance. Um, and again, it must have been another real milestone for yourself being able to lead the team out in Pitaudry. You'd obviously had a game at Pitaudry beforehand last season against Rangers, but um, this would have been the first time as captain the first time on the winning side and um, again it must be a super feeling to be able to lead a, a team out and, and win a game at Audrey. Yeah definitely I think that's one of the highs um, from this season one of our targets at the start of the season was to win at Audrey. like you say last year we, we had a good game against Rangers and a good performance despite getting beat by them at Audrey. but I wanted to be part of a team that said history and like we were the first women's team to win at, at uh, Audrey. so yeah, that was a brilliant day. It gave that um, awful run to an end, thankfully. But um, there was a period the season before, I think we went seven games without a win. I think folk forget that happened because it was it was such a successful season in the end. So we spoke about that and hopefully didn't let it get to us too much. But yeah, that win kind of set us on our way. But the, the competitiveness in the league this year with expanding to 12 teams and the investments that has gone into it has just really, really um, put, the, put the standard really high in the women's game as well so yeah that was a hard start but like you say I think 
hopefully we'll now stay in the league quite comfortably this year with the, with the form we've been on recently. Um, but yeah, looking back, Pataudry was massive. The, the crowd was brilliant. I think we've actually done, not just at Pataudry, but done really well this year, especially in the second half of the season with crowds. I think we had 450-ish against Hamilton, and I think we had about 300 there just at the weekend against Motherwell. So yeah, credit to everybody in Aberdeen. They do get behind us, and it's it's a game that's growing definitely in the northeast. So one of the goal scorers on that day was Nadine Hansen. Um, I was obviously you were speaking beforehand about um, uh, the fact that it's a relatively young squad at the moment and lost a, a number of senior players over the close season. Um, so it must have been good, obviously, to get another senior player in, especially somebody that had experience of previously playing in the Women's Super League in England. So obviously comes having played at a very high standard. Um, but as you say, broadly speaking, the squad, so while there's obviously an awful lot of ability in the team, um, a, a lot of young players, I think all of whom have um, uh, previous experience of having played or current experience of playing uh, uh, age grade international level for Scotland. But the reality is that probably most of the players in the current first team squad are under the age of 20. So um, how much of a challenge has that been for you personally as being one of the few senior players leading them through that process but but also on the park because obviously it's a it's a it's a big ask in the one hand obviously if you're if you're good enough then you're old enough but I think it is very difficult you you, you touched upon the fact that the the standard in the top flight is getting better which is a good thing but it's obviously very challenging especially for uh, effectively a semi-professional outfit having to go and compete on a regular basis against um, uh, a lot of teams with far more senior players and obviously a, a lot of players with full international experience as well yeah definitely like you say there's there's myself and Nadine and then the age gap sort of drops dramatically to to early 20s we played um a bounce game in training the other night and Gav was like oh let's play uh, anyone under 21 be the old and I think about 70 percent of the team moved to one side and I was like god I'm not even under 31 so this is this is hard going but <laughs> things like that bring you down to earth but yeah, Nadine, I think it was typical. It was her first goal for the club. And obviously she's got a big connection with uh, being Calrose's partner as well. So it was very fitting, I think, that she got got her first goal at Pataudry. But yeah, she's been um, massive um, for just the, the club this season, or the team. But yeah, for me personally as well, she's, she's way more experienced than I am having played professional for the likes of Aston Villa before. So yeah, she's been a great addition to the squad. Um, a bit of a lucky one, I think. Like you say, it's there's there's a big gap in our team. I think it's it's maybe to do with the location of Aberdeen. I think something the club to keep up others we need to maybe address with investing in players, which will come in time. But um, yeah, we rely a lot of youth um in the northeast because we've, we're such a rural catchment area compared to the central belt, I suppose. But um, like you say. All the young players in our team do have international experience and I think the difference from when I was that age um, to them being that age now is they all want to be professional footballers. Um, well, the majority of them do, which credit to them can definitely happen for them. So I think that makes them a lot more mature because it's something they're really passionate about and want to do well in. So that helps as well. But um, yeah, there's apart from the age gap at, <laughs> at training or recovery days more than anything, um, they're a really good bunch of girls, to be honest. Very mature, most of them, for their age. And then, like you say, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Um, I think like players like Maddie and Willie this season have really proven that um, coming and they've almost bedded themselves into the starting 11. Now it's coming to the last few games. So, yeah, it's something the club maybe need to address to compete with, with the, you know, the top six teams or whatever is, is the, 
target to do next season. But yeah, credit to these young players. Um, there's some great talent in that squad and just hopefully at the same time we can keep a hold of these players as well for next season. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned about that bounce match because it, it is an interesting dynamic that it's it's maybe forced a number of the younger players in the team to effectively take on kind of more senior roles kind of above above their age because obviously you talk about the likes of Maddie and Millie who, do, who really are, you know, young players. They're still teenagers in the squad. But I was thinking, you know, players like Ailey Shore, Francesca, Ogilvy, you know, they're like 20, 21, yet they are probably two of them were, you know, senior players within the squad yeah i know it must be i forget that they are 21 sometimes because ailey's been been there since the start but yeah the older team did win in training by the way which is the most important <laughs> thing but yeah it's important think... <laughs> it's important to still maintain bragging rights yes it is yeah they had to bring the biscuits and the sweets for the next game so, yeah they still had they still had their punishment but yeah credit to them like fran's in a, a um, vice captain position which for her age is probably you know actually very daunting but they're, they're good players and important players for us on the pitch as well. So I think that's what makes you think they're older than what they are because they take a lot of responsibility on the Sunday. But maybe maybe it's a lot for them at the moment, but they seem to take it in their stride. And I think then if they want to go on and go further than Aberdeen, which hopefully they do in the future, I'd probably stand them in good stead to have all this, this experience and responsibility at such a young age. Absolutely. So going back to earlier in the season, um, we just touched upon the, the first win of the season coming at Pataudry against Glasgow Women. That was followed pretty quickly with a second win in the season and a good win at uh, traditional rivals Dundee United. But it was a bit of a bittersweet moment because it was almost immediately followed by co-managers Emma Hunter and Gavin Beath uh, confirming that they'd resigned from their roles last November. Um, but I think it was just a good opportunity to still uh, reflect, um, you know, they were really key people in driving the team back to the top flight weren't they yeah definitely i think um as a team we actually knew that ahead of kickoff so we played played for them that day and um, we managed to beat them united at tanadice which was is probably not one of their highlights of their season but it was for <laughs> us so um always good to win at a big stadium but just yeah, makes it all the spear for us sure <laughs> yeah Emma's been there since you know obviously the beginning and and then gav beath obviously a very good coach was there for for that year or so um and he was previously for dundee united so i'm not sure how he felt that day <laughs> about us beating his old team just before he headed off but they yeah like i mean we've moved on with gav levy and it's football managers change very often and you have to adapt but yeah they were massive especially emma um being there from the beginning she had she had that three or four year plan that she managed to bring down to basically two years so she was very successful um, football's a funny thing um, where maybe you know or would we be better off with them staying who knows but um, yeah very, two very good people good people in football they've both gone on to do to do things um, already in the game Emma's involved in the Scotland squads and Gav's now at heart so it's um, you know like you say my door closes another one opens but yeah just massive thank you to them both I think we, I said that before they left um, their decision to, to move on, which everybody understood, um, and they spoke to us about that. And Gav Levy's since come in, and we're, we're doing well under them. But yeah, it was just a very, a very good tenure for for Emma Hunter, and I think she wants to get back into football management regularly. So hopefully, she gets something soon. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, so maybe a a sad end to twenty twenty two, but a much more happier beginning to twenty twenty three because February saw you reach. Uh, 
a personal milestone for you and also a club milestone as you became the first Aberdeen FC women's team player to reach 100 games. So again, you've obviously had a few months now to reflect back on that, but obviously a really proud moment for you. And um, how do you reflect upon that achievement? Yeah, it was something I actually didn't really really think about was coming because I've been there for so long, you forget, since, you know, 2018, that it, it kind of restarted as a club for us. So to reach 100 and be the first first player to do it, it's, I suppose you're down in history forever to to be the first player. But yeah, I just love playing football, love playing for Aberdeen. So just try to, to play as much games as I can. I did go through a period of strapping my ankle and probably shouldn't have played, but it's just to play play because I love football. So yeah, personally, a, a very good achievement. Um, something that me and my family are proud of. Unfortunately, I celebrated it, I think, with a defeat to Selig and a booking, but um, that's, that's the reality of football. But yeah, um, I think um, Ailey Shore obviously came shortly after me and Bailey Hutch again. The three of us were involved way back in 2018. So credit to, to the three of us, I suppose, for keeping fit, for playing as much as we can. So I'm sure I'm sure Bailey and Ailey will probably hit 200, whether whether my legs last enough to get a few more appearances in, I don't know. But yeah, um, yeah, looking back, like you say, once you've got time to reflect, yeah, it's actually a massive achievement, which I'm really proud of. Yeah, I think I think it wouldn't be unfair to say that um, if they do remain at the club for a period of time, the likes of Bailey and Ailey will probably have a good chance to end up surpassing whatever number you get to. But you will always be the first to get to 100, so they can't take that away from you. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, it was also interesting because you also mentioned that um, it's a good point that it is a bit weird to be talking about the first to reach 100 games under the team's current uh, guys as Aberdeen FC women, but I did. I remember you'd mentioned in the interview that the club did for it that you could probably add a zero onto that if you added all your all your games from your time at Aberdeen Ladies. So, is it is is it, is it a bit kind of surreal in that way to think of it's only one hundred games in terms of Aberdeen FC women, but it's substantially more than that in terms of your entire Aberdeen career. Yeah, like I say, I don't I don't know what the figure would be for that. I don't know, even know if I want to know that would extremely <laughs> extremely old. I think, but. Yeah, I think that's why I say it was a kind of sur- surprise me when 100 came up because it's just game after game. But yeah, just lucky enough, um, touch wood as well. I've not had too many injuries in my career, so I managed to probably total up quite a few few appearances. But yeah, um, yeah, seems like yesterday you start playing football and I'm almost at the, the tail end. But like you say, it's something that I can I can take with me after a step away from the game of, of being the first. So. Yeah, I'll always look back on it. Excellent. So taking us back full circle to where the team currently sits right now. So obviously with the slow start to the season, it was probably unrealistic to unrealistic to expect that um, you'd be able to get back into the, the top half of the table from that start. So you now find yourselves in Group B, which is effectively the, the, the bottom six group in the league. Um, and for people that aren't familiar, um, it's a similar setup to the Scottish Premiership in the men's game in that it's a 12-team league and it splits into a top six and the bottom six. But in, in the women's fixtures, you play each other home and away and then it splits after 22. So you've got a home and away set of fixtures against the, the bottom six teams. So you've, you've finished the first set of those five games and... It, it was. I mean, we were, were talking about a, a slightly disappointing result against Motherwell, but over the piece, it's been quite successful. Three wins out of those five games, and probably most importantly, uh, a couple of really good wins against the teams that you're currently battling against to not only avoid 
the relegation playoff place, which which would go to the eleventh place team, but but also to look to finish ninth in the league. So um, uh, I I wasn't at Gussie Park, but what sounded like a thrilling four three win against Dundee United, and then of course the home game at Hamilton again, a game it was covered on TV, um, and uh, I think attracted a, an attendance of four hundred and thirty people and. Um, you're able to deliver it at Balmoral Stadium and get the win. So two really, really crucial wins at this stage in the season. Yeah, definitely. I think, like you say, the, the top six um, slipped away from us in the end, which is something we targeted ambitiously. But yeah, we ended up in the bottom six. So um, the split for us, I think, has actually been really good for us. It gave us um, time to sit down collectively and reset. And then you play against teams that are you know, close in points to yourself. So... Uh, in a way, it's it's easier to then go into the split and think of it as a, almost a fresh league. So, like you say, we've won three out of five, but we were up 1-0 against Spartans and had a good performance. And then at the weekend, we, we got beat 2-0 by Motherwell, again, playing really well, but we just couldn't get a goal back. So, three out of five is good, I think, from the season we've had, but we're still a wee bit disappointed that we've, we've had two losses and maybe could have got some points from those other two games. But... Yeah, like you say, it's basically ourselves, Hamilton and Dundee United in, in the middle of that pack that are all competing to stay out of that, that horrible playoff spot that nobody really wants to be involved in. So um, if you've ever watched a Dundee United game, Aberdeen, um, it's normally, as Gav Levy says, an absolute ding-dong. It's just, um, there. it's always a high-scoring game. There's always goals. There's always something dramatic that happens as well. So we play them. Forgot to play them again at home um, coming up soon. And then Hamilton, like you say, was a big occasion for us. We felt like if we had to beat Hamilton to put a wee bit of breathing space between ourselves and them who are in that 11th spot currently at the moment. But Dundee United and Hamilton have then gone and drawn at the weekend whilst uh, we've got beat by Motherwell. So, yeah, it all opens up <laughs> the challenge um, for, for this. So... We've played everybody once now within the split and we've got everybody to play once again before the end of the season. So big, big games coming up um, to be the decider. But like you say, we're avoiding 11th place, but we could actually finish really high up the table in ninth and then start to chase um, Spartans and Motherwell. So a lot can happen in, in these five games. And we start again on Wednesday night against Glasgow Women at home. Um, so that's another big game. Although that team are relegated, we, we still desperately need the three points from that game. So that's the next focus. Um, and we just take one game at a time, as cliche as it is, until the end of the season and just keep keep trying to get three points each time and make ourselves comfortable. Yeah, a, a good bit of promotion for your last home game in the season against Dundee United as well. Um, always, always play your goals in the fixture. So a good a good reason for people to get themselves along to Bonnaroo Stadium. And I think it's, it's it's another thing I wanted to ask you about because obviously um, the last couple of seasons there's been that kind of marquee homecoming game at Petodre where um, you know you're getting close to two thousand people in attendance. But so far they've been more the kind of one-off big events. Um, I think the real marker of how the uh, the interest of the team is going forward is with what kind of attendance you're getting at Balmoral Stadium. And I think it is noticeable that there have been higher attendances at Balmoral Stadium kind of season on season. And, and indeed, even being in Balmoral Stadium, again, you'll, 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 as you'll be well aware, it was probably, um, uh, well, during the COVID times, closed off games at Cormac Park or before that, the, the Aberdeen Sports Village. Have you, have, have you noticed that? a uh, gradually increasing level of interest in terms of the number of people that are actually coming to the, the bread and butter games? 
yeah, definitely. Like I said earlier, I think we've got a really, really good home support in Aberdeen. I think people, um, it's a good kickoff time we've managed to get lately, 1pm on a Sunday. So um, anyone can come to our games, obviously, but it's it's attracting a lot of young um, girls that are aspiring to play the game as well. But like you say, we've had, you know, three and four hundreds just uh, the last couple of home games and they're just they're just normal games. Yeah, we are in a, a bit of a battle towards the bottom of the table, but it's credit that like you say, it's not these these big um sort of showpieces at Pitori that are attracting the crowds, which is a boost when when you pay in front of two thousand people. But to get regularly, you know, two, three, four hundred people, I think even if you look at teams higher above us that are in the top six, they, they don't get that. So yeah, credit to the club. There's there's players in our team that coach. They put out tickets every week. We've really tried to promote that ourselves. And it was actually something we said um, as a collective at the start of the season is how can, can we grow, you know, um, crowds and everything. Because we played at Carmack Park to begin with. Um, different standard of league, so we didn't require a stand. So as we moved up the leagues, a stand was important to the league to, to help do this, this what we're doing, growing, growing the game. So we now play at Cove, and if anyone's been along, it's it's a perfect place to watch football. Um, really sort of kid-friendly, family-friendly. Um, it's important to some folk to get a pie at halftime. Um, it's all available at, at Cove, and it can withstand um, big crowds, so it's a perfect place. Um, for us to keep growing it but yeah credit to everybody that comes out it's it's good that folk are interested in the women's game um by by helping us you know you know every time there's a bigger and bigger crowd hopefully in a way it's going to make the club look and say look this is something really popular and we can grow and invest more in the women's team so it's important that the fans um are helping us out in doing so but like you say it's um it's really really impressive crowds we get here at Aberdeen and I think folk do take note of that um, when they come up the road, like see your mother wells and bark thistles. They they are impressed with how many people come out and watch the game. Um, like I say, just a regular Sunday fixture. So yeah, really positive from the northeast. And yeah, just thank you to everybody that does come out and watch us most Sundays. Yeah, I, and I think that's a maybe a good point to 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 wrap up in this interview because that was it was really the last thing I wanted to touch on was. Um, I, I I know personally that yourself and team your teammates you're, you you take a lot of your own personal time to make an effort to attract people to the game and to uh, I think in your own words inspire the next generation. So maybe rounding things off, what are your own personal aspirations both for Aberdeen FC women and and for the the game in general for what can be achieved in future? Yeah, aspirations just um, maybe try and play for as long as I can um, at my age is uh, maybe what's on the mind of when when to retire or not at the moment but I just I just want to leave the game in a better place um, from when I started it wasn't realistic to to think you could play professional football um, at Aberdeen we have semi-professional contracts at the moment so we are getting there we're slowly building and investing and the club are, are into that we're just taking our time and doing so and getting it right so if anything, I hope um, by the time I have kids one day, they, they have a chance of playing professionally. Um, football for Aberdeen would be would be the way I would like to, to see Aberdeen go in the women's game. But I think um, it's one of the fastest growing sports in the world at the moment. I think as much as um, the Scotland-England rivalry is there in women's football, um, the England team winning the Euros um, just uh, last year or this year was was massive and it has made a massive difference to also the Scottish game. So 
yeah, keep growing crowds, keep trying to make it more professional, get some more. Um, I think there's more semi-pro contracts hopefully coming next season to Aberdeen and then hopefully we eventually get to professional team status. So if um, that's where I leave the football club, um, that would be brilliant to see. Well, I think that's an excellent note to wrap up there. So I'll finish up by thanking you once again for taking your time to speak to us and I wish you all the best for the the rest of the season and hopefully a few seasons more. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) But yeah, definitely a few more wins, but thank you very much for having me on. So, Sophie, the end of my interview with Lauren, we were talking about the fact that um, there's been a, a real increase in the, the interest in the number of people that are wanting to come and see uh, the, the Aberdeen women's team play. Um, in the last couple of seasons, we've had uh, a game at Pitaudry each season, which has had close to 2,000 people in attendance. Um, and there's also an increase in the number of people that are turning up at their, their more regular home of Balmoral Stadium. Um, one of their recent home games uh, against Hamilton was aired on BBC Alba and they had an announced crowd of 430 people there. So have you been noticing that yourself from your time covering the team, that there's a maybe a, a greater local interest over the last couple of seasons? And are you encouraged that the club's going to be able to continue to build on this? I think so. I think there definitely has been more interest. I think that Hamilton game that you mentioned there, I think that was their biggest attendance this season. Um but yeah, there, there definitely is more interest. I think um, just the, the fact that they're playing in the top flight, I think, you know, the players themselves do a really good job of promoting the games on, you know, social media and stuff. And because I think they know just how important it is as well. Um, you know, I think it's something that is talked a lot about in the women's game is that women feel the responsibility to promote the game, to get kind of people in, to get bums on seats, whereas that's maybe not part of the men's game. They don't have to take that direct responsibility to get fans along but I think even in my time I've definitely noticed that I think just working um you know at the, at the P&J and even Express there's definitely more interest we've been able to kind of do different sorts of stories like analysis pieces and kind of things rather than just the usual run-of-the-mill match previews and stuff because they do quite well there's obviously an interest for them but even just kind of the kind of day-to-day I was learning to drive last year and my driving instructor is a big Dons fan and he knew about the women's team he didn't often go to games but he knew the scores and he would ask me about players and he so he knew it despite not going to all the games it's become part of more the local public um, consciousness I think just over the last couple of seasons because of playing in the top flight they get you know they get decent media coverage and, and for Aberdeen they're actually like the whole league they probably get the best attendances, some of the best attendances anyway, regularly at Balmoral because it's a fantastic setup down there. Some of the stadiums you've been to this season, you'll, you know, they don't have stands. So, you know, you're having to stand, I think, like one game. I was having to use a wheelie bin to, to use um, as a desk for my laptop to write my match report and stuff like that. You know, it's not a great, a great foundation to build a club on, but credit to Aberdeen have a great facility out at Balmoral. The, gl- the glamour of journalism, it. Sophie. Oh, I know exactly. It's a it's a really glamorous job, but um, I think yeah, I think Aberdeen are doing a good job of growing. You know, the fan base. It's it's slow but steady, but it's getting there. And I think, um, yeah, like I said, I think they're they're doing a good job, maybe compared to some of the other teams in the top flight. 
And Jill, there's also been a steady increase in, in the media interest in women's football in Scotland more generally. Um, matches were already being shown live on BBC Alba last season, uh, but there's also been the addition this season of having a, a Monday evening highlights package that's been shown on BBC Scotland. Um, Sky Sports are, are also now more involved as as part of uh, SWPL, uh, joining up with uh, the, the Scottish Professional Football League uh, in the men's side. They are now sponsoring the Premier League Cup and they are, they've also added live fixtures onto their schedule as well. So, again, all steps in the right direction. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I've loved it, having far more access to, to games. Um, although not not seen Aberdeen a whole lot. Um, but, but it's great that there are more on offer. Um, I think... The media attention is good. Uh, it, it puts some different pressures on players. Uh, I was really disappointed with the first Glasgow derby being on Sky and getting the headlines for all the wrong reasons mm-hmm. uh, with the incident with the coaches. But that's that's kind of where we are. And we saw that at national team more when I was involved and we were making major tournaments. Uh, we had to do more media training on the players and make them really aware of what they put on social media because things that you put on 10 years ago now can can come back and haunt you so it's great when there's good interest but making sure we sort of work with the players to, to develop that side of things as well I think interest is, is really growing that's great to hear what Sophie described with, with our driving instructor and I, I see that all the time when, when we went to the major tournaments uh, you know the old guys in the pub and calendar where I come from watching games and never would have watched women's football before I think it's disappointing though that Scotland missed out on the last two majors Um so I, I kind of stepped back after the, the World Cup and not getting the Euros was a massive blow. And then to lose out this year, although it'd be a, it was sort of one of the last hurdles. Uh, but we saw in France that real turning point of, of interest when you get to, to kind of major tournament. So, yeah, I, I think it's great. And I, I, great that it's filtered down to club level and, and Sky are investing a bit more in it. Alba have always been a, a good supporter for uh, quite a few years now. Um, so yeah, interesting to see where we go. Uh, you saw England massively capitalising on their Euros win. Uh, it was sixty thousand at the Emirates last night for Arsenal's uh, Champions League game against uh, Wolfsburg. So yeah, there, there's interest. There's definitely interest there. Hamden crowds are growing as well, and and you know a lot of televised games. It's not it's not affecting the crowds at SWPL games when they're on telly. They're, they still look to be really busy these stadiums. So. Yeah, we've come a long way, and it's it's really quite exciting. So, Sophie, uh, picking that thread up in relation to the Scottish women's national team, um, as as Jill was saying, it's uh, maybe unfortunate that after uh, a couple of successful uh, qualification campaigns that uh, Jill herself was involved with in uh, the 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 European Championships in 2017 and the 2019 World Cup, and unfortunately, we haven't been able to follow that with qualification in the next couple of majors and, and very narrowly missing out with a, a home defeat to the Republic of Ireland at the end of last year, which means we're not going to be involved in this summer's World Cup finals. But on the plus side, um, hot off the press today was obviously the draw for what will be the inaugural season of the UEFA Women's Nas- Nations League, um, which will be roughly taking the same format as the competition that's been set up for the, the men's tournament. Uh, Scotland managed to sneak in as the 16th and last seed in in League A. The the groups were drawn this lunchtime, and I think it's fair to say it's a bit of a group of death. It'll be ourselves in the 
the, the current European champions in the old enemy England, together with the Netherlands and Belgium. Um, but maybe a good time for this kind of competition to be coming along. Those fixtures will be taking place in the, the September, October, November time. Um, and I noticed that um, just a few hours ago, you'd actually um, posted a, a suggestion of how that might potentially benefit football in Northeast as well. Yeah, uh, I think, yeah, like you say, I don't think it could have been a much more <laughs> difficult group to be drawn in. Um, the current European champions, the former European champions, who are also the World Cup runners-up, um, which is obviously the Netherlands and in Belgium as well, who you know had a had a good Euro. So it's it's as tough as it could have been. But I think yeah, off the back of you know the disappointment of not reaching the World Cup, we want to be tested. I think there's a points prove. I think we want to prove that we we are a top team, and you know we we should be at the World Cup. Um, that's where we should be. We're good enough to go. Um, just you know one of those things that we kind of failed at the last hurdle against Ireland but I think the Nations League you know it's a good addition to the to the calendar um it's an elite competition it's it's a route to major tournaments if we don't you know don't succeed in in playoffs which we've obviously seen benefit the men's team as well so yeah I think you know you want to be playing the best and that's what this this group is going to be and it's those games are, are certainly going to be the toughest games since Pedro uh Pedro came in but got to embrace it like I say we want to we are a top team we've got top players got world class players in the Scotland team so so why not be playing against the best I don't think you know it's a group that you'll look at and think that oh yeah we're, we're gonna win that one but it's a good marker I think it's a good marker to see where we're at and the progress that we've made under Pedro I think there's a few questions asked of of him um following the World Cup but I think you know the, the couple of windows that we've had since um especially you know that that win against Australia and in April was was um, kind of evidence that there has been progress made and yeah hopefully now we can kind of just get going again and, and kind of look towards the next major tournaments. And you were making the argument earlier today that it might be a benefit to the North East and to the Scotland setup itself to potentially host games out with of Hamden Park and obviously Pitaudry Stadium being a, a prime candidate for that now we've we've not had a, a full international at Pidodri for quite a number of years. I think um, the friendly game against the Netherlands back in, I think it must have been 2017 or 18-ish that, that we last had a full international come to Pidodri. Um And I know that yeah. from the SWNT's perspective, or maybe more broadly the SFA's perspective, I think they have been keen to make Hamden Park more of a permanent home for the national team. But um, equally, you could see an awful lot of benefits for... Um, Bringing the bringing maybe maybe the the Netherlands or the Belgium game out uh, further afield in somewhere like Aberdeen has historically seen really big crowds come and support the national team. Yeah, I mean, I was playing devil's advocate with it. That's uh, <laughs> arguing with people on Twitter this season, but um, yeah, I think I think Hamden being the home, it's a good idea. But I think the crowds that we've seen since it's become the home haven't been high enough um what that's down to i don't think that's down to necessarily the football itself i think it's maybe down to the way the games are marketed and things like that but yeah i think why not take it on a tour you know i i'm I'm 24 and i can honestly say maybe until i was about i don't know 11 12 that i didn't really know that we had a national team um i'm from beacon and i certainly know that i would have 
been to national team games sooner than I have been if they'd have come up, you know, past Edinburgh, Glasgow more often. Um, I think it's just a way to, you know, there's an interest all around the country for women's football. We know that people go down to Hamden. I've seen, you know, buses go from Inverness full of not just kids, but, you know, just football fans going down to watch the national team play on a Tuesday night whenever the, the qualifiers were. Why not take it up here? Why not take it to Inverness at, you know, Tallycastle Stadium? Why not take it to Toji? There is interest and there's an opportunity to kind of spark more, to get more people involved. I was actually speaking to my dad earlier tonight because he has Twitter and he's seen the argument with someone. <laughs> um, and he said that, you know, he probably wouldn't be inclined to go to Hamden very often to watch any of the national teams, the men or the women. But if it was local to him, he's in Montrose, he would certainly go to Patoji or he would go to Canada's to watch it. Why not? If it's on your doorstep, why wouldn't you go? So whether the Nations League is a campaign to do that, I don't know. But I think there needs to be something needs to kind of change for us to kind of grow the attendances. I think having it handed is great, but we need to find a, a way to grow it and to fill the stadium a wee bit more. And like I was looking at the fixtures. I mean, this all came off the back of watching the Matilda's documentary series on Disney Plus and they, you know, they take their their team around the country they played in Can uh, Canberra Brisbane Newcastle Sydney and you know the Lionesses do it too I was looking as well they played at Wolves and Coventry and you know Bristol City Stadium and they take it around the country and get you know fill it almost every time so why can't that be something that we do to kind of grow the attendances and then hopefully when we do play at Hamden, because I don't think we should not play at Hamden. I think you know the England game is a perfect example for that I think the England Nations League campaign We'll break the attendance record that was set against Jamaica in 2019. If any game's going to do it, it's going to be that one. But I think it has to be a case by case basis where kind of is the opportunity to take it around the country and maybe kind of um, grow grow the fan base and kind of get some more people involved. Now, Jill, as 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 was mentioned, you've previously been involved in the national team setup and have had the the privilege of being involved with a, a Scotland team that's uh, made trips to major tournaments. Um, it really is important that um, for the women's game to flourish and continue to develop, it really does need a successful national team, and for for the profile of the the game to, you know, continue to be raised. Yeah, absolutely, they they do. Um, it felt like a real uh, watershed moment when when we got to those major tournaments, uh, and. Reflecting on what Sophie just said about taking it around the country, I think we used to do that a lot better. Um, maybe not our, our sort of competitive campaigns. We, we were based at Tynecastle, so we a few times. Um, but for friendlies we did. Uh, and I remember being gutted. I was 10 years with the national team and I was at Stade de France. I played at Ibrox, Celtic Park, uh, Hamden a few times. Uh, not once did we go to Pataudry. Uh, we finally were up in Aberdeen in about 20... 12, I think it must have been before the Olympics, we were playing Cameroon. I was so excited finally that. getting to go to Pataudry and it was Chris Anderson. So <laughs> I never ever in my, in my time got to, got to um, work, work on a game there. But yeah, you need support from all across the country. And, and yes, it's great that buses come down, but you know, a lot of midweek fixtures and things, that, that's not easy with, with young kids asking them to make a, a big trip. So yeah, it's something we could, we could do better, I think. Um, I guess it depends the head coach you have in place and the sort of arrangements. Sometimes the games come up. For example, if you're trying to get pitches for competitive matches in June, we ended up at Falkirk Stadium quite often because it was a 4G and grass pitches were getting kind of prepared for the main season. So 
I mean, I, th- I think they're real positives to getting time and space on the pitch at Hamden. Uh, but but yeah, maybe that's a bit that they're lacking now is getting around the country and building that, that fan base in all the uh, other areas. So yeah, definitely need to keep that interest high in the product. And, and it's like the men's team, you know, a bit of success, it gets more interest, gets everybody back behind the team. Um, so yeah, I, I would like to see them um, kick on again after that, that that World Cup campaign and then looking ahead to the Euros now. So there's one thing trying to get the national team uh to more involved with 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 football in in the northeast, I suppose. Looking at it in the other way around, there's the aspect of how do we get northeast based players more involved with the national team. Um, we were talking beforehand. We have uh, a very good crop of uh, youth internationals currently, so I think it's probably the case that the vast majority of players that are playing in Aberdeen team have been through the age grades at uh, at youth international level. But um, it, it's it's quite an abrupt stop. Uh, someone like Bailey H- uh, Hutchison, she's still 19 years old, but she's actually already now too old for the next set of qualification fixtures for the under-19s. And there does seem to be a real gulf between finishing the, 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 the youth international side of things and then what prospects you might have to be able to go on and be involved with the, the full national team squad. Now, obviously, we've had players like Kim Little and Rachel Corsi who have gone on to have incredibly successful full international careers, but they've had to go further afield to do that. Um, are, are, are there better prospects these days for being able to make that next step into the full national team while if not potentially being still playing with Aberdeen FC, at least being able to do that while playing domestically in Scotland. Yeah, there, there are lots in that. Um, it's it's less common nowadays to, for a player to sort of appear and not going through the age groups. I think you've got one exception. Is it, is it Maya Christie maybe didn't feature 16s or 17s, but now has a few caps at 19s. But generally speaking, there is a, a strong pathway in place um, they're going back to that. If you're older, if you're good enough, you're old enough. Thing. Kim Little was in the national team at fifteen. Jenny Beattie and a few others. Uh, Corsi was there fairly young, but for a lot, that step up from nineteens to A squad is is too big a one. Um, I do believe that there is uh, changes afoot, and that's going to come in. I think they played a under twenty threes fixture last year or this year was it? But it was a bit bizarre. It was an under-23 squad, but ended up with a lot of older-age players in it. Uh, I, I felt it was a sort of a token gesture. Uh, but I do believe that the planning is there, that that, that squad will, will become a, a, a regular feature. And that's really important. Um, yeah, like I said before, that there's that you, you've always had a real crop of good players. You've had Kim Little and Rachel Corsi, you mentioned, but you also had... Uh, Natalie Ross, I worked with at Rangers and, and at Celtic actually, Rebecca Dempster, Rachel Small, um, Rachel Boyle now, uh, really good players. Uh, unfortunately, they did move on, they moved to the Central Bell or, or down south in a couple of instances. And how you stop that happening so early, you've just, like I said, got to provide the best environment you can to keep them. Uh, but yeah, more so than the men's game, it's really important if you want to make a living out of football and women's football, you have to really be a national team player and, and, and getting some attention. So, uh, yeah, I think in the women's game particularly, it, it's uh, a real positive if you get selected for national teams and, and from the age groups onwards and you're in that system. Also, at the moment, where maybe club resources aren't quite as where, where you'd want them to be, 
you know, I know the the regional performance hubs that the SFA run up in, in the northeast. They're topping up with SNC and other football sessions to help develop players as well, uh, and that's that's important. Um, so yeah, I think in, environment for for keeping those players. I think getting involved with that pathway, not not just national team, but sort of the, the regional uh, regional hub approach are, are really positive. And I think people like Polly McDonald, Shelley Kerr before, Anna Signal did a lot around the investment in that, uh, recognising some gaps. But yeah, that, that other gap of the 23s, hopefully that's one that's being addressed because that will really help us move forward with that, that group of players that age out at 19s. feels like for a lot of these youth players, they missed a lot of the game time for national team because of COVID as well, uh, cancelled opportunities, etc. And yeah, you're not a youth player for long. Yeah, sadly, none of us get to be youth, youthful for long, is the nature of things. Um, Sophie, I'll, I'll maybe come back to you just to wrap things up and maybe come full circle by coming back to the women's team at Aberdeen. Um, where we are right now, the, the, the team's completed half of their fixtures in Group B, which represents the, the team that were in the bottom six of uh, the, 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 the league. Um, unlike with the the split in the Premiership, um, the the league actually splits after uh, a home and away fixture with with each other team in the league, and there's therefore a home and away set of fixtures with the other teams in the bottom six. So we've completed the first five games of those, done relatively well out of those three wins out of five. Um, so we're about to start the second set of five fixtures with the return games. That will start with the game Wednesday night against Glasgow Women. Um, as as Jill was saying, they're maybe the, the one team that they, they 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 were promoted last season, but they've they've really struggled. I think they've actually failed to pick up a point in their time here. So the target for Aberdeen, they're they're seven points clear of Hamilton in eleventh. So the first port of call would probably be get the three points on Wednesday night against Glasgow Women. Um, make sure they're mathematically clear of relegation and then they can maybe focus their attention to pushing themselves um certainly at the very at the very least securing ninth spot in the table and, and and maybe trying to catch a bit of ground on uh spartans and and motherwell before the end of the season yeah i think that has to be it um obviously with the three points on wednesday i think hamilton are playing motherwell so that's a tough one for them i think motherwell have now won eight games on the bounce so it's going to be tough um, for them to go away with the results. So, yeah, Aberdeen could potentially go 10 points clear of the relegation playoff spot um, come tomorrow evening. I think that's enough. That should do it. It's not mathematically safe, but that should be enough for them. Um, but obviously, yeah, they've still got games against Dundee United and Hamilton to go. So, they're big games. I think they're must win games, um, considering like kind of that position between the three of them. But, yeah, I think kind of aims for the rest of the season for them has to be to, to kind of just maybe get some momentum, build some confidence back. I think which they've done post-split. I think the, the split's actually been a good thing for them, being in the bottom half of the split as well. All games are winnable. Um, you know, you wouldn't expect to be blown out of the water by any of those teams. You're not going to get, you know, seven, eight nils like they've had against, you know, Rangers and Glasgow City this season. So it's just, it's just getting the team in the best possible place ahead of the summer. It's going to be a big summer. You know, we've already mentioned about maybe possible changes that are going to come in and one change that we know will come in is there's going to be a new manager and who, for whoever that is, you want them to be kind of inheriting a team and a squad that feels good and that's 
kind of end of the season on a positive note. And I think they do have the chance to do that. It's not been a bad return since the split. Like you say, three wins out of five, it's it's not bad. And there's a possibility to kind of, you know, you could see them adding three or four more wins potentially from that. I think Motherwell game on Sunday, even though Motherwell found the best, the rest come from the split, I actually didn't think they were that great on Sunday. Um, Aberdeen for first spells were the better team and just didn't take their chances. So, yeah, try close the gap on the teams above them, but also kind of um, extend the gap from the ones below them and consolidate their position. But just main thing is end the season on a positive note. I think after what has been a difficult and different campaign for for the Dons. So that brings to an end the first ever Here We Go Aberdeen FC Women podcast. I would like to extend my sincere thanks to our two guests. First of all, to Jill Campbell. Thanks for being on the show again. Thanks for having me. Always fun to talk football. And to Sophie Goodwin. Sophie, thanks a lot. Thank you. It's great fun. So all that remains for me to say is stand free and come on you Reds. (laughs) 